Bible Church, welcome to Selfie Part 2. I am so excited. And man, listen, uh, if you missed last weekend, make sure you go to nextlevelchurch.com. You can watch or listen to the messages from last weekend. We have heard so many people uh, give us feedback on what we talked about last weekend because the whole idea of this series is built around uh, this notion that we live in a world now that can't get enough of ourselves. And so how do we get over ourselves in a world that can't seem to get enough of us? And that's what this selfie series is all about. Last weekend, uh, we talked about this idea that, uh, you know, that we have to get over ourselves. We talked about this issue of pride and how it's so difficult to see pride in our selfie. And uh, so, man, if you were not here, make sure that you go to nextlevelchurch.com because this selfie series is amazing. Uh, I, I, uh, I learned something, by the way. Of course, the whole Instagram deal, you know, that's kind of like the social media network for selfies. And uh, so I was looking back over some of my selfie pictures uh, that I have published of my selfie recently. And one thing I noticed was uh, this week I got a little creative. And if you follow me on Instagram, at Matthew W. Keller, by the way, uh, just padding the stats, that's all. <laughs> just kidding. I could care less. Except I'm really close to a thousand, so that helped me. Appreciate that. Uh, anyway, but so anyway, so one of the things I tried, just because I'm kind of like the you know social media experimenter guy, is I decided to, to do a couple of sock selfies this week. And it actually happened by accident because I was in Atlanta teaching some pastors and I was sitting, there's a picture from one of the guys uh, and, and I had lime green socks on and so it just kind of caught fire and a whole bunch of people started uh, liking it and talking about it online. And so the next day I was on the airplane flying up to Baltimore to go to a pastor's deal uh, before I came home that night. And I, I, so I, I selfied my socks again. Uh, and it turns out, okay, so, so, so the, the, selfie, the sock selfies got 77 likes and 75 likes. The last time I selfied a picture of my face, I got like 50. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Selfies. That's awesome. Oh, good. I appreciate that. Anyway, all of that aside, here's the point. Wanted to, uh, to, to take us into part two. And this weekend, we're talking about liking our selfie. Liking our selfie. And let me real quick give a tip of the cap to Pastor Jimmy Evans who uh, talked about some of these concepts at the Gateway uh, Pastors and Leadership Conference a few months ago at Gateway Church in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. And I want to tip the cap to him and, and some, of the, the, some of the inspiration of this message. But also want to talk about this idea of liking our selfie. You know, the truth of the matter is that when we see ourselves in pictures, for most of us, there's something about ourselves that we don't like, isn't there? Like there's something that we look on and we go, man, I wish my nose wasn't that big. Man, I wish, I wish my eyes weren't so far apart, right? You know, like, like the, every one of us, like, I wish I had a different body type. I wish my earlobes weren't so long. Like every one of us have something about our selfie that we don't like. And sure, it's easy for us to talk about those things and laugh about it and go, yeah, I wish I had a different nose. I wish I had a different body type. But the reality is some of us, have some deeper things about our life that when we see ourselves in the picture, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to like. And that's what we're talking about 
this weekend. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to John chapter 20, because in John chapter 20, we, we find the story of Jesus and his disciples and an interaction between them that I want us to key in on. John chapter 20, if you have your Bible or a Bible uh, app on a, on a smartphone or a tablet device that you can follow along, if not, that's fine. The verse will be on the screen. You'll be able to follow along there, no problem, because I want us to look at this. And while you're turning to John chapter 20, uh, let me kind of set the stage, give a little background information on this chapter. This is post resurrection. So basically Jesus for three years had his ministry on earth and then he was arrested and illegally tried, crucified on a cross and then taken down, beaten and taken down, had you know nails in his, in his hands, uh, a spear in his side. And then so when he dies, they take him down, they bury him in a tomb. And three days later on that first Easter Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. And that evening on that Sunday night, Jesus makes himself real. He shows up to his disciples, to those who were closest to him, and he reveals himself. And I want us to see this because it, it shows us something that I think is so important for every one of us who are listening this weekend in all of our services or in an overflow environment somewhere or, or in some other environment, maybe you're watching or listening online. Uh, every one of us, I think there's something here that we need to see. Let's begin reading. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, so it was Sunday night, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders. So they, the, the disciples were thinking, listen, if they kill Jesus, we're next. Like, they're coming for us. So they barred themselves up. They've locked the doors. They have insulated themselves. They're scared. They're in hiding. Here's what it says. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, I love this because the doors were locked, and yet it says that Jesus just appeared in the room. Now, listen, I love the fact that the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is peace. You know why? Because it, when you have all the doors locked and somebody shows up in the room, you are freaking out. And the disciples were like, what is going on? And Jesus was like, everybody just chill out. Peace be with you. Verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Notice something. When Jesus wanted to make himself real to his followers, to his disciples, he didn't show them his, his eyes. He didn't say, look in my eyes, look, it's me. He didn't speak and say, do you hear that? My voice, doesn't it sound like me? He didn't say, look at my facial features. When Jesus wanted to make himself real to his disciples, he said, look at my scars. Verse 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Okay, that is the worst milk and bread run timing ever, isn't it? Like this poor guy, Jesus raises from the dead, appears for the first time, and he's out getting groceries. That's horrible. That is the short straw right there. So the other disciples, verse 25, told him, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, yeah, 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 right. But he said to them, look, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I ain't buying. I won't believe. Verse 26, a week later, that's a long week, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with him. He wasn't leaving. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you ain't doing that to me twice. <laughs> Though the doors were locked, same scenario, Jesus came and stood among them and said again, peace be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Okay, obviously, 
This is an amazing story of how faithful God is to reveal himself to us. I mean, think about it. He cared so much about Thomas individually and personally that he made it a point to reveal himself in a way that resonated with Thomas. Thomas said, unless I see the the nail holes in his hand and the the hole in his side, unless I do that. And when Jesus comes, he looks right at Thomas and he tells him the exact thing that Thomas was, was saying. Jesus makes it so personal, so intimate, so individual for Thomas. I love that. But here's the greater message that I want us to get this weekend. If you have your bulletin in one of our services, maybe you want to unfold it all the way. And on the inside left flap, you'll notice some fill in the blanks that will help you follow my train of thought. Because here's the first thing that I want us to see. Everybody has scars, including Jesus. Everybody has scars. Now here's the thing. Even Jesus in resurrected form has scars. Okay, listen, I'm just telling you, if I was Jesus and I was going to go through the cross and be beaten and have my beard ripped out and then have nails put into my hands and a spear run into my side. Listen, I don't know what kind of deal you have to make with the heavenly father, but man, when I rose from the dead, I would be like, and by the way, Lord, I'm going to need you to take care of some of this skin damage. If you could make these scars go away, that'd be awesome. After all, I am rising from the dead. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, in victorious, resurrected form, still had scars. And here's what I want us to see. When Jesus wanted to reveal himself to his followers, he he didn't tell him to look in his eyes or listen to his voice or point to his facial features. Jesus pointed them to his scars. And that's what led to their belief. See, Jesus wasn't ashamed of his scars. And here's what I think Jesus understood that I think God wants us to understand this weekend. It's this. Our scars have tremendous power in them. Tremendous power in them if we know what to do with them. Jesus knew what to do with the scars. See, here's the reality. Every single one of us who are listening this weekend have scars. Scars from mistakes that we've made or regrets that we have in our life from decisions we've made or decisions we we wish we could undo, choices we wish we could unchoose. We have scars from things that we've done or things that have been done to us. We have scars in our heart, in our life from abuse that's taken place. And for most of us, the vast majority of us, we want to hide our scars. Why? Because we think that our scars are a point of shame and hurt and pain. What is a scar? A scar is a place in our life where pain has left permanent mark in our psyche, in our memory, in our emotions. And here's what I want us to understand, Next Level Church. Number two, our scars are forever, and they are a big deal. Our scars are eternal. Think of this. See, apparently God doesn't want our scars to disappear. 
Why? Because our scars hold power for others to believe. Thomas and the disciples believed, not when they saw Jesus' face, but when they saw his scars. See, here's the thing. I want us to get this. Our scars are such a big deal because we can never rise above the level of the emotional scars that we haven't dealt with. Let me say that again because we got to get it. We can never rise above the, the, the level of the emotional scars that we haven't dealt with. See, the reason this is such a big deal is because unless we deal with our scars properly, they compromise us. Our marriages grow to our level of unhealed scars. Our ministries grow to the level of unhealed scars. Our influence, business leaders, our leadership can only grow to the level of our unhealed scars. Our careers will only grow to the level of our unhealed scars. Success in any area of our life is contingent upon the level of emotional healing that we've received in that area. So where do they come from? Where, where do these scars that we all have come from? Well, there are five primary causes for the scars in our life. The first is rejection. See, as humans, love is our greatest need, and therefore rejection becomes our greatest hurt. And some of us know the scar, the pain of rejection. Another place that our scars come from is failure. Mistakes that we've made, regrets from the past, missed opportunities, failed attempts at things, and those failures leave permanent emotional scars on our life and on our heart. Rejection and failure. Abuse is a third one. A third source of the scars that we have in our life. Abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse can leave scars, emotional scars on our life. A fourth way that we get scars on our life is through betrayal, infidelity, embezzlement, false accusations that were made against us can leave permanent scars on our heart. The fifth cause or source of scars in our life is tragedy. The loss of a loved one or bankruptcy, personal injury that can happen in our life can leave permanent emotional scars. See, everybody has scars, and scars are forever. Scars are a big deal. And here's the third thing we need to understand about our scars. It's this. Every scar has a voice. Every scar has a voice. In, in other words, you got to get this. Every scar speaks to us. See, here's what we have to understand. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, the devil the enemy of our souls is very real and very rampant and very relevant in our life. And he is coming, Jesus said, to kill, steal, and destroy us. The devil wants nothing more than to keep you bound up in your hurt, in your pain, in the emotional that scars and painful place of the scars that have been inflicted upon you. But here's the thing. When the devil comes to torment us and use our scars against us, guess what? He doesn't come with little horns and a pitchfork to torment us. That'd be way too easy. And our culture would love for us to believe that that's what the devil is. No, 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 listen. You know what the devil does? You know what the devil sounds like? He sounds like us. He sounds like our voice. Listen, 
When, when every scar has a voice, the pain from our scars speak to us. And when they do, it sounds like us. But it's the enemy of our souls trying to keep us bound, trying to keep us in pain from the pain and the scars that have been inflicted upon us in our past. What does it sound like? The voice of the, the pain of our scars sounds like things, it says things like there's something wrong with you. It says things like you'll never succeed. You'll never measure up. You will always be disappointed. See, the, the voice of the pain of our scars of our past says no one will ever love you. In fact, God doesn't love you. If God loved you so much, then where was he when this happened? See, that's the voice of the devil. It sounds like us, doesn't it? It sounds like that voice in our head that says things like God is angry at you and is going to punish you. It says things like you aren't special, not like other people. It says things like, you're on your own. You're different. It says things like, you can't ever trust anyone again. The voice from the pain of the scars of our life says, you're not worth it. So, every time someone gets close to the scars in our life, that's when we feel threatened, isn't it? That's when we stall out. On any level, we will never grow past the level of our unhealed scars. That's why this is such an important topic. That's why we're hitting it in this selfie series. Because it is the pain of the unhealed scars of our life that are keeping our marriage where it is. Some of us feel like our marriage has hit a lid and we can't figure out why. It's because it has grown to the level of our unhealed scars. And one or both of you have scars in your life that is keeping your marriage from breaking through and going to the next level. Some of us can't understand why our career has stalled out, why we reach a certain level and then it just it fizzles out and we just drift off and we just can't seem to break through. Is it possible that there is an unhealed scar or two or more on our heart that is capping our potential in our career? Some of us can't understand why our influence isn't rising in some area of our life. We will never grow past the level of our unhealed scars. And here's the amazing thing about scars. See, every scar has a voice and everybody has scars and scars are forever and that's a big deal. But here's the thing about our scars. Our scars show up in our everyday lives. They, they give clues to us in our everyday lives. And it's, oftentimes, we don't even realize it. They're so subtle and, in fact, so automatic that it slips by us. There are four primary ways that our scars give us clues or show up in our everyday lives. The first is anger. Angry. Some of us are married to someone who is angry because of unhealed scars in their life. Some of us are that person who, when, when things don't go our way, we respond with anger. And here's the thing. You always know that there is pain, unhealed pain, unhealed scars in someone's life when their response is always inappropriate with the amount of the offense. 
So someone sends an email to one of your coworkers at work that says, hey, there were a couple of typos in your document, and they're calling Better Business Bureau. They're threatening a lawsuit, and they're coming unglued. They're throwing laptops through windows, and you're like, what is going on? I was just saying there's a couple of typos. Okay, whenever you see, gosh, you got to get this. Whenever we see exaggerated or inappropriate emotional response, call it anger for most people, to something that is unwarranted, that, that the reaction is not warranted from the offense. That's always an indicator, a clue of unhealed pain. Something's going on. Something's going on. Something's going on. There is pain somewhere in that person's heart that's undealt with, that's unhealed. Anger. Here's the second one. Self-pity or unforgiveness. Self-pity or unforgiveness is a clue. There, you, you know what I'm talking about. There are those people in your life that they walk around with this woe is me attitude, they are the Eeyore of your influence. Like, aren't they? Like, they're, you're in your sphere, and it's like you see them coming, and you're like, no, 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 I got to go, I got to go, I got to go to, hey! And they're like, wah, wah. They're like, I just won a million dollars in the lottery. Apparently, they're going to pay it over 20 years. Boy, I feel really sorry for you. Okay, watch this. Self-pity, woe is me, is, is a clue, is an indicator of unhealed scars. When people walk around and nothing's ever right, and nothing's ever good enough, and nothing's ever okay, and woe is me, and they're just the shame-driven sort of, sort of self-pity thing, or the sister to this is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. When you see someone who will not, they choose not to forgive, and I could never forgive. And they say these extreme words like always or I would never. That's always a sign. Always a sign. Always a sign of an unhealed scar in their heart. A third clue or indicator that, that our, our pain or our scars show us and give us in our daily life is shame or denial. Denial. This is such a big one. That when, when asked about it or when, when the subject comes up, and someone attempts to get close to that scar, and oh my goodness, your grandfather locked you in a room for 14 weeks and never fed you anything as a kid, and they go, yeah, it was nothing. I'm good. It's okay. No, it didn't hurt me. It didn't bother me. Nope. I'm iron. I'm awesome. I, nope. Nothing gets in. Nobody. Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. Uh-uh. Not me. I'm good. No, nothing hurts. I'm cool. No, it's okay. I know they said some hurtful things. I know she did some awful things. I'm good. It's nothing. This denial thing. This denial thing. That's a clue. That's an indicator. That's a sign that says, hey, there's some undealt with pain there. There's some undealt with emotional pain that you got to deal with. And the fourth clue that our scars give us is this idea of fear or escape. Escape. When we medicate through any number of medications, it is an indicator of undealt with scars and pain in our heart. What am I talking about? I'm talking about medication. I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking about drugs or, or prescription medications. That's an indicator. I'm talking about pornography or other addictive tendencies in our life, novels and TV shows or, or whatever that, that we use as an escape. Whenever we are escaping and using escape mechanisms and tools and medications like that, we are medicating a pain in our heart that is left undealt with. It's a clue. It's a sign. See, every one of us 
have scars and scars are forever and they are a big deal. And every scar speaks. It sounds a lot like us, but it's really the enemy of our soul trying to keep us bound up. And every scar gives us clues in our everyday life. But here's the good news, Next Level Church. You got to hear this this weekend. The good news is we can be healed of our scars. The Bible says that there's hope, that we are not without hope, that we can be healed of our scars. Well, how? What does that look like? What, what does that mean, man? How, how can we be healed of our scars? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to talk through five uh, steps to emotional healing. Because, see, these scars are the scars of emotion. And they last forever. And if we don't find healing, they will always keep us from reaching our full potential. So what are those? What are those five steps to emotional healing? Well, here's the first one. Number one, we have to make Jesus the Lord of our pain. We have to make Jesus the Lord of our pain. Ask someone, is Jesus Lord of your life? And if they're a Christian, they'll say yes. Ask someone if Jesus is the Lord of their pain. And we may hesitate. See, I think it's possible for those of us who are followers of Jesus that we have given 98% of our heart to God. Jesus, I give you everything except this place of pain, this place of scar, this place of hurt where these people said these things and they did these things and it was horrible. Jesus, you can have all of me, but don't touch that. Listen. Jesus has the ability to heal our scars, but he can't heal what he's not allowed to touch. Some of us, listen, you need healing in your soul this weekend. You need healing in your heart, in your life, in the emotional place that, that's speaking to you and is causing you to, to not become what God wants you to become. And the only way to do that is to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want to just give you the good places, the happy places, the, the visible public places of my life. Jesus, I give you the painful places too. How do we find emotional healing? We have to make Jesus the Lord, not just of our life, but of our pain. Number two, we have to make God's word the supreme truth over our scars. We have to make God's word the supreme truth over our scars. I want you to see this. Look at verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. There's this passage of Scripture that, that is so important and so relevant to what we're talking about this weekend. Look, it says this, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, there is a battle going on, but it's not a natural battle. We don't fight this thing with weapons of, of, in the natural. We fight this thing with spiritual weapons. Look, verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The scars, the voices that speak, the scars in our life those, that have a stronghold on us. The good news is God has given us weapons to fight those strongholds. He continues on, verse 5. We demolish, look at the, wor the wordage here, arguments and every pretension or thought. That's the voice that speaks to us from our scars. 
arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, every one of those thoughts, think of it, is always, always, always juxtaposed or in complete opposition to what God's word says about us, isn't it? Those thoughts that, that torment us, those arguments, those pretensions, those thoughts that come against us from the pain of our scars always say the opposite of what God says about us. Always. And then look at this part. I love this. Therefore, we take captive. Come on. We take captive what? Every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's what I'm talking about. This is the part where our pain speaks, the arguments, the pretensions that, that create strongholds in our heart. But the Bible says we have weapons that the world knows nothing about, and the weapon is the Word of God. And so when untruth comes, and our, the pain, the voice from the pain of our scar speaks to us, we have to come against those with the Word of God. That's how we get victory. We make the Word the extreme truth over our life. A couple of years ago, I was dealing with some, some things in my life. And so I went to, to see a counselor. And, and good news, counselors aren't for crazy people. They're for imperfect people. So we all qualify. <laughs> Got a louder la laugh at other services, just so you know. That's interesting. <laughs> and, and honestly, I, um, I have seen a counselor for, for several years in my life. I love being able to talk to someone who couldn't care less and couldn't care more. Uh, and, and has the ability to, to help me un, unravel and connect dots. I love that. I love that. And by the way, uh, there's a counseling page at nextlevelchurch.com. Go there in one of the links. You can find it. Um, it, it that'll help you. So I, I was sitting there, and, and while I was talking to my counselor uh, during this one session, over a period of about 20 or 30 minutes, he started to point out that as I was sharing some things, he started to point out, uh, that um, there were some untruths, some false realities that I was, I was believing, that I was living under, that were affecting every decision that I was making, everything that I was doing. They were affecting everything in my life. And so over, the, over a period of 20 or 30 minutes, my counselor started writing down these false realities, and he came up with eight untruths that I had believed since I was a young child were true. And he identified these eight untruths, these false realities that were affecting these voices that were speaking from the pain of scars of my past that, I, that were affecting everything about my life. And so then he, he had these, these listed, eight of them. And then for each one, he said, okay, now let's look at the word of God and let's find out what the actual truth about that is. And we came up with eight truths that were true from the word of God about me and my life. And so we wrote out those eight truths. And he said, okay, here's your homework, Matt. For the next 60 days, you're going to take this list. And I have it listed in my Evernote. So it goes on all of my devices. And he said, every day you have to, set, you have to read the untruth and say, it is a lie, that. And then read the untruth. And then say, but. The truth is. And then read the truth and say, in Jesus' name. He said, here's why. Because you have to retrain your brain. You have to take every thought captive. See, it's not spooky or kooky or weird. Taking every thought captive is about grabbing a hold of those false realities that we believe are true, those lies, those untruths that are affecting everything about our life, and then speaking the truth of God's word over them. Make them come captive to Jesus Christ. That's how we live in victory. And I'm telling you, after a couple of months, I was like, 
holy cow, this is unreal. Like I began to see the world completely differently. Why? Because those voices from the pain of those scars was, was ever so unconsciously affecting the decisions I was making, the thoughts I was thinking, and the direction I was taking. So I would challenge you, listen, begin to identify them. When you see those, those clues jump out in your life, call, the, call your own foul. And say, wow, you know what? That's an untruth. And take it captive and get it out of here and write it down on paper. There's, if you try and fight the battle in here, you'll never win. You'll never win. That's home field advantage for the enemy because you're sinful. You got to get it out of here, get it on paper, and then write the truth. Find the truth and speak the truth over that thing. I'm telling you, that's how you do it. Number three, how do we get victory? How do we find emotional healing from the scars in our life? We have to forgive anyone who's hurt us, including us, including ourselves. Forgive anyone who has hurt us. Listen, we have to give people grace who have hurt us. You know why? Because we never know their scars. Anyone who has ever hurt you in any way, shape, or form has done so because they themselves were hurt as well. And we have to forgive as he forgives us. Some of us, we need to show grace to ourselves because we've made decisions. We've blown up a marriage. We've blown up a relationship with a child. And you've said things to yourself like, I will never let it go. I'll never forgive myself. Then there's your lid. There's your unhealed scar. How do we find emotional healing? We have to forgive. We have to forgive those who have trespassed against us. And we have to forgive ourselves for the trespasses we've done to ourselves. How do we find emotional healing? Number four, we have to find people with redeemed pain to help us and hold us accountable. Listen, don't get alone. This is the power of relationship. This is the power of our connection groups. That in a, in a, a setting of, of a small group of people, this is where we can be vulnerable, where we can find others who have redeemed pain, not just pain, but redeemed pain. That's important, okay? You don't need a group of people, the support group or whatever, that get around and you're like, well, my life's worse than yours, and no, his life's worse than mine, okay? And you find out for two hours who's got the worst life and then give them 20 bucks. Okay, no, you don't win anything there. Okay, that's not going to help you. Let me tell you what will help you. When you find people with redeemed pain, people who have healed scars, we all have scars, but it's the people who have healed scars that have the ability to help you and speak life over you and pray life over you and invest life over you and keep you accountable. That's how we do it. And finally, number five, how do we do this? How do we find emotional healing for the scars of our life? We have to surrender our scar to the ministry. We have to surrender our scar to the ministry, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. The greatest blessing of our scars is that God can use them to help others. The greatest blessing of our scars is that God can use them to touch others. When Jesus entered the room that night, he didn't point to his eyes. He didn't bring reference to the sound of his voice or his facial features. He pointed people to his healed scars. And therein lie the power. So what about us? Here's what I believe. I believe it's possible that there are hundreds of us, perhaps thousands of us, who've come into this church this weekend 
or participating in an overflow environment or watching online, listening online in some other environment who have scars, unhealed scars. So we have intentionally left some space at the end of all of our services this weekend. And the worship team is coming back in all of our services because God is here. Jesus is here and he wants to heal our scars. Listen, make him Lord of your pain tonight. Make him Lord of your pain today. Jesus wants to heal our unhealed scars. So we're just going to create some space over the next few minutes. And I believe God wants to touch us. Will you give him permission to do that today? Let's pray. Jesus, we prepare our hearts right now in this moment. We give you permission. You are indeed Lord of our pain. We invite you now to touch us, God. We want to do business with you. Come and meet with us in all of our services, we pray. In your name, amen.